When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Liz, I think it, it is important because, you know, you and I are the only people from Florida to explain Change that it. every pen in Florida is a, a sexy naked lady pen. Whether you're, yes. you know, whether you're at the bank or at the office, every pen, <laughs> um, when you tilt it, the sexy lady does get naked. Well, I don't a, think I've seen one of those since like the nineties. I'm glad yeah. they're still they're still oh, going visited, somewhere in the world. It's cool that you visited Florida in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool that you went to Ocala. All right. It's not a bit. Fifteen years ago, Charlie Chris put on his boots and wrote a big law that said all pens have to be sexy lady pens. Yeah. All mm-hmm. pens have to I be sexy. I would believe that. I really would believe that. For and Ron Florida. DeSantis tried to make them. Uh, either sexy ladies or alligators who are eating a man on the other side of the pen. <laughs> oh. uh, that, that was too expensive. Too expensive. All right. I now need to use the restroom. After all of that. So everybody stay talking. Give, give Casey some fun treats. Absolutely. I heard Ron DeSantis said that the fact that the pen starts with the sexy lady not naked is too woke. Uh, <laughs> well, they get like more. They, they already start naked and then get more naked as you go. They, yeah, they get even sexier. skeletons. Even sexier. <laughs> now, Nathan, I will say that, like, this is a very true to campaign experience. Yes, particular. Mm, spending mm, an hour mm. and a half talking about stupid bullshit before James becomes boss dad. Uh-huh. And then, being and like, then Let's boss dad ends up having to do something that takes another like, you know, 45 minutes. Yeah. It's like, what happened to boss dad? What happened to we boss can't dad? text him because he left his phone by the computer. <laughs> yeah. Our story continues in the clouds. We see the shaded silhouette of a skyship passing through a collection of clouds over a step below. There are yellow-green grasses swirling in the wind. The air is crisp and firm, so far from the hot desert wind of Ungoni, which is near the Rakshari Desert. We've gotten far enough away that cooler airs have come to bear, which bring with them moisture. And so, these clouds. Right now, the Uhuru is completely enveloped in a cloud. 
not a storm cloud, not one with swirling wind, but one that makes the landscape in front of them a flowing and lazily drifting sea of mist. And right now, in the captain's quarters, there is nothing that can be seen of the land below, and very little that can be seen of the sky before him. We come to Captain Oromar Vale. And I would like you, Nathan, mm-hmm. to describe Oromar Vale for us, please. Ah, oh boy. Well, let's see if we can describe this in a way that doesn't horrendously conflict with everybody's individual headcanons or what have you. Don't forget the big elephant trunk. Mm. Yeah, that's very <laughs> uh, Oromar Vale, I think, stands uh, reasonably tall and broad. An imposing figure, I mean, they are in many ways sculpted to be both in their previous life and as they are now their form however is somewhat obscured partially by the large long resplendent but now worn stained and scratched jacket Um, the many long and thick dreadlocks sun down uh, to his waist at the back and a uh, large larger than average really tricorn hat that he tends to wear at all times, partially a reflection of his own sartorial wills, and partially because a lot of this obscures the fact that he is, in fact, and has been for quite a while, dead. He has a, uh, or at least, he, he always has had a passion uh, for rich jewel tones, deep reds, deep greens, deep blues, those that were part of his general attire are now uh, somewhat uh, filthy, matted, and faded, but uh, there are still old vestments in his quarters, although it might be a little fiddly to retrieve, and he's not necessarily had the time, what with having been busy running around, living a life not quite his for people who are not quite his masters. Yeah, that that this is a question that I have for for you, Nathan. Oromar like recently came back into a more full and complete control of his body, like about a, a, a month and a half ago. I will mm. say mm. he really was able to make that final push uh, during the Mariners' attack against Nordia, and then you had the few weeks between traveling from Nordia over to uh, your rendezvous point with the floating city of Ungoni, and now it has been I'm I'm going to say two weeks out of that, mm-hmm. which means this is probably one of the first times, really, that Oromar has had an opportunity to review his quarters, to review his space, and and think about it in those terms. You know, what, what does this place that was once definitely a home for you feel like now? And what are you doing here? You know, in this one of these rare moments where you have time alone. Mm. Well, uh, I would say his study right now is definitely a reflection of how he perceives himself uh, a comfortable home that he spent 
inordinate amount of time in, having swiftly returned to found it now as a house rather than a home with it being lived differently and the slow process of getting it back to maybe how it once was, but it's never exactly going to be the same as before. Oromar has a habit of being, or yeah, still has a habit of being quite fastidious in the planner and uh, everything in the room, regardless of maybe how messy other people saw it, had a very specific place because it made it easy to find. Nothing is now easy to find. (laughs) All the kind of collections of pens and inks, uh, whether they have been used by other people or in attempts to write letters and then flung across the room in frustration, um, whatever kind of like the chair that he sat in, despite being, uh, you know, uh, probably a wood chair. Uh, I still kind of expect it or picture it as like an office chair with adjustments, maybe cushions in exactly the right place. And, uh, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> that That's a complicated device that he must have stolen. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, took uh, uh, it was a, it was a solid grift, actually, uh, a process of working quite a while uh, with an artisanal chair maker who makes artisanal chairs for high ranking officials within the Red Feathers and uh, a long form hustle of getting this chair made to a very high specification for somebody apparently much more important than himself. And then in the uh, in the last minute being shipped off to somewhere else entirely different where he then casually picked it up um, and uh, and took away, which was a lot of effort, but the lumbar support was never better. <laughs> God, I love uh, that. Yes. Whether he still has back problems now, oh, he absolutely has back problems now, but he doesn't really feel it so much in the way that maybe he used to. Um, <laughs> so Oromar, I'm learning, has a gamer chair. Instead of opting for an office chair, he went for the gamer chair, uh, which, you know, back problems can only follow in that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think in this moment, looking around and really taking the time to take in the space, we have a flashback, a flashback to some of the early days of Oromar's death, a time when his spirit is outside his body, watching the world unfold around him. I I don't think, for the most part, spirits that are looking into the world of the living can see it clearly. I I I think it is fogged not an opaque fog but as though the world is like swirling in and out of focus and and kind of a chaotic storm or or current that is whipping the images towards you and away from you and we can see dref the nervous 19-year-old doctor and necromancer attending to you in your office. And more than that, attending to your office, rearranging and not quite redecorating, but trying to give it the appearance as though it is lived in. Dref was fastidious, not just in his care for, for you to make sure that you didn't decompose to keep the various neuron channels and muscle pathways in Oromar's body functioning as best they could in the realm of death, but making it seem as though your life was one that is lived in. He took time every day to rearrange the pens and papers on your desk, to occasionally move the bottles 
to slip his companions drinks of the fine liquors that are kept in your cabinet to make it appear as though the captain of the Uhuru was very much still the captain of the Uhuru, even if he spent most of his time cloistered in his quarters, not speaking with the rest of his crew. And now back in your space, the ways in which this facade that Dref kept up, though it was able to fool some of the people who were closest to you, it is hollow. This is a place that has been lived in, but lived in by someone who is not yourself. I want to know, what does Oromar take care to correct right now? I think the collection of liquor in the cabinet, while no longer a thing that they enjoy, is almost akin to a trophy collection. They are from all over the world, from all sorts of uh, well-won gambles and uh, interesting sorties and uh, entirely misunderstood which one of those uh, liquors is actually as important as they really are. Why drain the, the, the vodka first when the rum is actually so much more expensive? There is a, if anybody has once been told to go through stuff like book or magazine collections, and in fact, you just sit down and read them instead of Mm. actually sorting them properly, there is a moment of him in organizing these bottles by the fond memory, in order of fondest memory, I think, um, decides to pour himself a small glass. And there's a moment where he stares at the the liquid, perfectly still for his hands no longer shake with those kind of like micro movements. And you can see his own reflection in it and tries to take an inhalation of it to smell the smokiness of this whiskey and smells nothing and quietly puts it back, then followed by reorganizing the um, drawers of papers where the desk should be. All good large desks by important people have secret compartments. And uh, although he was not one to necessarily keep an exact eye on what was happening in the real world at all times, it is a hazy vision through the glass, as it were, He can't quite remember if any of those were ransacked, rummaged, or fidgeted with. So goes to go and check the underside of left drawer number three to see if that false bottom is still there or not. I think as you're opening that up, because that is such an intriguing question that I do want answered, but I want it answered later. Mm. The door opens. Jonnet Kessler is at the door. Jonnet I yeah. have a, a quick question. Is, so mm-hmm. is how much of a time jump is this? Two weeks since Ungoni. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to orient myself with like, it seems like the captain is doing a lot more than he was two weeks ago. Obviously, because we have like a person now, but <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the, the cap, I will point out in the Ungoni arc, the captain spent a lot of time where you did not see him. Mm-hmm. And in that time, he was writing letters. In that time, he was like doing things that, that you do not know about. Literally, we have no idea what happened in Ungoni. And Nathan, at any time, mm-hmm. can surprise all of you and me with things that the captain did both in Ungoni and in uh, Nordia. 
And the, we'll just have to live with that. I love that. Uh, I, ass- so- I assume he was training in one of those like super gravity chambers, like Goku. Uh, the hyperbolic time chamber. I mean, yep, 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 yep. with all that period of time being unobserved, you don't know what he's been getting up to when not directly looked at. And this process of moving around his office might have taken hours. Uh, his concept of time is not great. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. A, that is a cool thing. But yeah. So at the door, opening the door, is Jonnet. What I'm going to layer on you, Tyler, is you are in the middle of your star watching, and you've hit a bit of a snag. You need a very specific tool, and it is an expensive and delicate one, that is kept in Oromar's office. And you have gone the maximum amount of time trying to avoid the conflict of going into that office. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, because I feel like this is one of this has got to be one of the tools that when this all started and the captain first died, as Jonnet kind of made his carved out his section of the captain's quarters for it, like his business, his like that was maybe a shelf or two too high for Jonnet. And so he has since moved it, tried to be careful with it. But then in the day to day, it's just kind of been found its way to like, this is where it's easy for Jonnet to reach, which is probably not at all what the captain intended for it. Yeah, I think with, with John, like the thing that we have to be aware of is Jonnet is picking up an extremely complicated skill. Like it is hard under the best conditions to begin learning the process of star watching. And he is used to having some of the most robust tools available anywhere to do that because he is used to working with the equipment that Oromar Vale keeps in his personal collection. But now you don't have as free access to that. And every time you kind of have to confront this major thing in order to do it. So please, Tyler, describe for us Jonnet Kessler and what Jonnet Kessler might look like sheepish and still very much needing something. So opening the door, we see a thin kind of gangly, well, thin, but also uh, tone from adventure, 15-year-old boy, black skin. He is wide-eyed with a dulled crimson bandana that's just collected dust and debris. At one point, someone may have looked at that and said, oh, that's a that's a spiffy bandana you got. But now it's just kind of faded into his everyday wear on his forehead. He has, at this point, his hair It's sort of shaved on the sides, frohawk, that kind of bobs in the wind, I think kind of flying through a cloud. Jonnet's hair is looking particularly moisturized and and beautiful, so it's kind of got a little bit of a, it follows his head movements a little bit. And as he is uh, kind of like looking down and very sheepishly unwilling to kind of look up into the captain's uh, eyes, we can see that his fro is sort of dangling a little down, kind of obscuring maybe like one one of his eyes completely. Um, (laughs) As this is kind of everyday wear, he just has a uh, sort of a loose tan uh, sort of linen shirt that is tucked into a pair of like 
darker brown pants supported up by just uh, your standard issue rope that is just kind of tied around as a belt. He is slowly, very slowly growing into his pants, but they are still a little bit baggy, so much so that I think because I'll say like we've kind of just been flying uh, casually, he doesn't have shoes on. I think that's strategic as well because he was trying to, on the off chance the captain wasn't in his quarters or maybe wasn't paying attention, he was maybe hoping to like sneak in grab this uh, level and and sneak out. So he's got his pants kind of, he's got them cinched off and tied at the ankle. So they're not like high water. So they've kind of got a little bit of a ploof at the, at the bottom. And uh, yeah, he's very, he's very nervous. Uh, does Oromar himself open the door? Hmm. Or is that John at like opening. I think that's John slowly (laughs) opening the door to try and get in. So you hear three of the faintest knocks that you've (laughs) ever heard. And it's, uh, they are. And then you see the door open, you see fro first, and then he's got to open it a little (laughs) bit further to get the eye. And then he sees Oromar, sees Oromar, see him, and you hear like a and so then he like opens hey cap (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so you've got you've got uh, Jonnet is trying to feign relaxation but he's also doing it in the way that like the way weight dispersion works like he's got to hold himself on the door which is on hinges and the door is like trying to like swing open so Mm -hmm. he's slowly swinging open trying to make it seem like (laughs) he's just leaning on the door and so you can slowly see him flex more and more trying to stop the motion but he can't so it's like how uh, how, how's it hey how you doing (laughs) yeah I think as you as you uh, like gently knock on the door or am I pauses rummaging around in the desk <laughs> and upon you being like hey cat there is the sound of like Oromon moves his head from looking down in the drawer to the door so swiftly you hear the vertebrae in his neck snap <sighs> oh <laughs> as like like an hour oh it is he then straightens up and the head has not moved from the very severe turn in the shoulder as then he kind of gently grabs his jaw and slowly moves it back with a click to look at you. And in a tight, close special on Jonnet, you see Jonnet's Adam's apple fidget as he he fights the urge to vomit. Um, <laughs> and is, uh, so... Uh, I I hope hope everything is looking up to code. Um, and as he's t- kind of talking, we see Jonnet's eyes kind of like very quickly glance around the room to like the back right corner where things are especially like messy, but also low because that's where Jonnet normally hangs out in. And mm. I think it's probably the equivalent of 
like a sky pirate protractor that Jonnet is on the the hunt for that like he's trying to figure out like the angles of where the Uhuru is supposed to be going and trying to look for like landmarks and and sky marks to try and plot the course further maybe on to make it more special there's like like on a level you have like that little vial of liquid that Mm. uh the bubble the air bubble kind of like gives you a better reading of like this is straight and so jonnet has learned star watching with this it can be done without it but he he knows it and he needs it to kind of be sure of his sort of calculation so that's what's driven him back to the captain's quarters to grab that tool Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jonnet, you are in the middle of wrestling with a very difficult problem right now in that right now you are trying to use your fledgling star watching skills to plot a course that you don't actually have. What you've been given is verses from members of the Liquid Swords Monastery. And you have been told that using those verses in your star watching is going to give you a heading. And one of the reasons that you are willing to risk this interaction right now is you can't really find that heading. You do think you have a general idea of where you're supposed to go, but the idea that you're somehow supposed to incorporate these verses into the positions of the stars, the conditions of the weather, the time of day, all of the complicated factors that can go into the equations and figurings of star watching and somehow come out the other side with a course, with a direction, with a place that you are supposed to head to, it doesn't quite make sense. But one of the things that you do know is that in star watching, the more information that you have, the more accurate and precise your results can be. So this tool that could give you a shot at that much more precision maybe that's the element that you've been missing. So John is going to keep waffling. He's going to keep stalling. But as he's doing it, he's going to just kind of casually just start sauntering in the room, like Mm -hmm. kind of readjusting like wall art. And he's going to try and make his way to the back right corner, which inevitably like has to mean that he goes around or through like the captain's desk. Um, Mm. So yeah, he's like, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy <laughs> up on up on the deck. <laughs> We're flying through a cloud. It's just it's so moist. Like, I, I I put a I put a jar out, and it's so wet. Orima holds but, up a hand for like stop. I, I forget whether um how much sign language Jonnet knows casually, or whether that's improved over time. I know that I think he knew the least out of the group, but. I feel like it's improved, yes, but it's still sort of on the basic end. Mm, mm, mm. So we'll, then he, uh, Oromar signs this, but you probably maybe don't necessarily catch all of it inherently. Yeah. Um, but he gestures over to the corner of the, the room where you've been kind of like using and uh, signs um, with both hands. Studying in my library is a good thing. Using my books as steps, (laughs) unforgivable. 
and you can see that like to reach some of the higher shelves like there's been over the course of time small boxes and and books have put as like a little mini staircase that you might have used in the past to reach some of the higher items i i feel like in Jonnet's interpretation, Jonnet picked up studying in my library is unforgivable. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and so we see we see like immediate flop sweat and and he's like, um it it's I I I'm I'm doing this for the ship and I I just need I I don't know how to do this without those tools. And you you got you gotta you gotta let me you gotta let me. I'm so sorry, but I'll never come back in here. Just I need this tool now, and I'll you'll never see me again. I'll quit the ship. <laughs> Oromar manages to the face expression doesn't change, but he's managed to get a gist of hand gestures to suggest emotion. Without the his face changing, he slowly pinches the bridge of his nose. <laughs> <laughs> I think in signing again I know what you need I'll get it and he slowly walks over to the bookshelf of items and has inferred maybe under the circumstances you're in or the having seen you do star watching before what the next tool you might need is and he <laughs> reaches up to the sixth shelf for the item that you were looking for and have moved from the sixth shelf and it is no longer there pat 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 as he's kind of like patting around on the shelf maybe it's out of view and john absolutely comes down john and like at you. puts his own hand up as if to like hide that he's about to say this like lower second <laughs> shelf it's the second it's the second shelf now <laughs> he there's this maintained eye contact for for a beat two beats <laughs> the jaw like opens slightly on its own due to gravity and then he quickly snaps it back shut again oh. with a click and then reaches down to the second shelf and finds the item and uh, gestures more casually with one hand. Guess I didn't have the eyes to see it. Laughter. And like the sign for laughter, uh, rather than any bodily uh, movement or suggestion that he is having good jokes. <laughs> oh, what's the sign for laughter in this world? Ooh, I'm so interested. I mean, personally, I'm just kind of like, because the the, the Oromar is now British equivalent because I'm British. He's like using British, he's like using British sign language as like a regional dialect. I don't know. Um, I, I'll have to specifically go. Oh, so there is no sign for laughter. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, these are the jokes we're going to tell now that I'm on the show. He signs <laughs> polite chuckle. Mm, I, I, yes. guess, I guess actually, yeah. I, I, if, in, in whatever sign it is, it is the I, I equivalent kind of, of like kind of laugh. like having a hearty, polite, high-class <laughs> chuckle in one hand. Yeah. What, what if it's like like a, a, wa- a waving, like kind of flickering hand? I kind of feel like it would be a little like uh, fluttery. That's mm. that's kind of how I would convey laughter. I knew I that. I do know that. And I think in general, that. sign language doing essentially one-handed or both-handed jazz hands is the sign for applause. So I. Like that, that is a similar kind of equivalent of all kind of like, haha, funny. Um, <laughs> 
so yes, he he basically signs laughter sarcastically to you <laughs> as he then gives over this uh, star watching item. Oromar, you definitely know that the this item in particular, this tool, is a highly sensitive and specialized tool. It's something that you would really turn to in very like necessary, precise situations. It, it's not like a casual everyday star watching tool, like like a sextant or mm-hmm. a compass or anything like that, which I think to you might suggest that Jonnet is struggling. I feel like that is something that you would absolutely know. Mm. Mm. So he he offers this over to you, like he essentially extends it in one hand over to you, and the hand hovers perfectly still with no human signs of shaking for you to take it out of his palm. Janet reaches up, takes it, and I think there's a moment where he has the tool, and now it was like <laughs> the equivalent of... Asking for the tool, getting the tool was fight. And then now it's like full flight. It's like, okay, okay, well, I'll just. And then he starts to like head towards the door and then he kind of slows down and then he stops and then he looks at the tool and looks up at Oromar and, and and then he turns around and like, are you busy? No, he does not sigh. <laughs> that's not how that's not how he works. Um, he slowly looks at the rest of the still very untidy office, um, at the kind of general rate that he does detail work, which I think is maybe one fifth of the speed as anybody else. He looks at that room slowly and then looks back at you and says, in signing again with both hands so formally, it can wait. That tool is delicate. I will observe you. And he walks past you out into the decks of the ship with the intent of walking to top deck uh, where you might be setting up for star watching. He does not explain as such. He just walks past you after saying, I will observe whether you understood that command or not. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, uh, Oromar walks by, starts like halfway down the hallway. Then you see John, like... From down the hallway's perspective, you see Jonnet's head lean out into the hallway and be like, so is that it? Are, so, so are you busy? And then he kind of runs after <laughs> the captain uh, and just follows. It's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. And of course, a hearty welcome to Nathan Blades, our newest cast member. Heroes, Nathan was selected after a long and difficult casting process that we had for the role of Oromar Vale. And I say difficult because everyone who auditioned for the part, really at every level of our audition, was so talented. And I can tell you more than once during this process, I was really intimidated by the idea of actually narrowing things down. 
Thankfully, I wasn't alone. Folks like OneShot Project Manager Tracy Barnett and, of course, the cast of Campaign Skyjacks helped in selecting someone who is not only talented and creative, but a really good fit for the show. Before we go on to talk about Nathan and their various accolades, I want to congratulate and thank everyone who came out for the part of Oromar Vale. I was so impressed by the range people showed in their voiceover reels, by the creative way people dug in and made observations about the character, and frankly, the incredible choices made by our final round auditioners. It means so much to me that so many talented people wanted to be a part of this project. But let's talk about Nathan for a minute, y'all. Nathan is already an accomplished podcaster and streamer and a tabletop games designer. Coincidentally, I actually first met Nathan at the Thought Bubble Comic Convention over in the UK. They came by my table and dropped off a copy of the Queer Cyberpunk's Guide to Tabletop RPGs, and after reading it, I decided to hire them on the spot for the Ultimate Micro RPG book. I was really excited when I saw that Nathan applied to join the show, and I was even more excited when the rest of the cast decided to move Nathan on to the future rounds. In their auditions, Nathan showed comfort with making big choices for the character, and playing in all of the challenging and creative spaces that you need to to portray someone like Oromar Vale. Ultimately, I think they are a perfect fit for the show, and I'm so glad to have them aboard. And I hope everyone out there listening is happy to show Nathan their full support to welcome them as a new part of our cast. I'll point out to everyone that Nathan's pronouns are he, they, and that you can go follow them over at Phantom Arts ENT. That's Phantom Arts ENT. There you'll be able to find their other podcasting and streaming work, as well as their game design work. Also, to accompany our casting announcement for Nathan, we hired the artist Siv at Spectral Fusion over on Twitter to create a new Oromar Vale character portrait. Siv was, of course, hired at the request of Nathan themselves. So a huge thanks to Siv for helping make this announcement special. Now, before we return to our show, I want to take a quick moment and thank some of our backers on Patreon. Louisa Blatt, thank you. Isaac Frieza, thank you so much. Richard Wyatt, thank you. Obsidian Rat. Thank you so much. Matthew Prohl. Thank you. Stefan Shah. Thanks so much. Lindsay. Thank you. Charles Cross. Thank you very much. Galen Peugeot. Thank you. And I will point out that Galen is not only a dedicated fan artist, but a tabletop game designer. So go out and support Galen's work. Patrick Rogers. Thank you so much. Samuel Olivios. Thank you. James Stewart. Thank you very much. Terry Connell. Thank you. Alyssa. Thank you so much. Jez Vale, thank you. Billy Bunn, thank you very much. Victoria Lee, thank you. Nicole Pigeon, thank you very much. Robin Nielsen, thank you. And Jim Burns, thank you so much. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Without you, we wouldn't be able to make shows like this. Heroes, we have got some great Skyjacks bonus content coming up, including a little bit of information about the casting process for Oromar Vale. Uh, that'll probably be coming up later on because there's some editing that we have to do for that one. And hopefully, I think we'll be able to post uh, some of the character development that we did for Oromar. I really have to assess that for spoilers, but there is stuff coming up. And after that, we have a new bonus story that is going to be hitting the Patreon feed, I believe sometime in August. Again, that depends on editing, but I am very, very excited about that one. So if you'd like access to that content and to join the list of names of backers that we've read already, head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and sign up to be a supporter. 
Not only does it help us make the show, but it helps us make the show better. Thanks to everyone who's signed up already, and everyone who's going to sign up in the future. Finally, before we get back to the show, I wanted to remind everyone that coming up on August 15th is the start of Margaret Week. What is Margaret Week? Margaret Week is a fan-run event to celebrate everyone's favorite Black Lily. There are prompts for fan artists, fanfic writers, and of course fan musicians, and really any other kind of fan creativity, all dedicated to having fun with and celebrating Margaret. If you'd like to be involved or check out the fruits of everyone else's labor, head over to at Margaret Week on Twitter, where you can find the rules, prompts, and hopefully retweets of everybody's cool Margaret-themed stuff. A huge shout out to the folks who are organizing Margaret Week, and of course everyone participating. We'll be looking forward to seeing it August 15th through the 21st. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Smash cut to the sky. This is in a slightly different region, slightly different location from where we found the ship, uh, the, the Uhuru itself. And we are on the back of a griffin. Specifically, I think, Metatron. But we can also see in, in, in the not too far distance, a uh, flea is also circling around. And here we find Gable. Gable currently hunting for food, actually, to bring back to the ship. So, Liz, I would like for you to describe Gable and tell me who Gable has brought with them on the hunt. What a gift, James. Also, I... It's probably not picking up on the Zoom, but it might be in my audio. There's, like, a massive thunderstorm happening outside right now. Mm. And so I'm getting a lot of, like, ambient thunderbooms, which is very fun. <laughs> as, as I'm floating through the clouds. Uh, yeah, okay. So on the back of Metatron, whom is a red-tailed hawk, massive. In this world, we use birds as a, as a steed to fly as one would a horse or perhaps a very large uh, emu uh, <laughs> in the real world, right? That's a thing that happens. No. I, I don't think you could ride an emu. I think you could ride an ostrich. Okay. Yes, yes, ostrich riding is a thing. Yes. So this person is, even in the scale of these birds, which are 8.3 times larger than any birds that we have here on Earth, this person is quite large. They are seven feet tall. They are built very sturdily and uh, one would say beefy, thick, enormous. Uh, and this is Gable. Gable is, it, to give everyone context, is part of the race of people known as the Fallen, who are formerly angels and now 
beings here on Earth, mo- mostly mortal with a little spicy magic. <laughs> mostly. Um, mostly. People write, a sousson of magic. Just like a little, mm, oh, well, uh, how, how, how interesting, how flavorsome. Um, Gable is wearing, uh, and this is like an outfit that I'm stealing from one of our fan artists, uh, Beetle, who is uh, amazing. This sort of loose pants that the tunic wraps around and girds the pants because usually they hang pretty low but if you wrap it all together it's just one set kind of moving fighting outfit and they're wearing that because to hunt midair in the middle of a storm cloud which obviously is very turbulent need a lot of range of movement even though it is very wet and cold gable is has silvery hair that is in a sort of weird middle phase of growing it out where it you just simply it headbands don't do it hair ties don't do it it's always kind of in your face there's probably a lot of blowing it, hair out of your eyes every so often in a very cute I, way i have to imagine one of the only times and ways that it does look good is when the wind is blowing through your hair mm. keeping it out of your face because otherwise it's just like, I'm trying to have a serious conversation, but I, all I'm doing is keeping my bangs out of my face, just like a valley girl. They are uh, kind of more dressing more femme today with a lot of, with some cosmetics uh, and Ooh. mostly and some ear jewelry. I think in, in the past two weeks, they've pierced their ears quite a bit, like all the way up and down. And their their ears were pierced by a crew member named Claire's. Uh, Claire's is just has has a big die shaped seat uh, uh, that you can sit on, and and they'll they'll do pretty much whatever you need. Well, now Claire's I just keeps on yelling at me. Healed properly. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Claire's keeps on yelling at me. Well, have ha- have you been have you been uh, disinfecting? And I'm like, no, no, I haven't been disinfecting. I'm a teenager <laughs> mentally and emotionally. <laughs> and the way that they're hunting, oh gosh, can we, are we like inventing a whole new animal kind of here? We or? can. You you can. I, I I was kind of thinking that it might not be gauche to like just have, especially if you've got a hawk to like swoop down on a deer or a horse and just carry that off. But if you want to invent a new animal or bigify a, 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 a normal animal. Liz, you have full license to do that. <laughs> no. Cats, big cats. I think this is sort of the equivalent of a deer hunt, right? Or uh, sending a fox to go find you an elk or something and we're all going along together. But I'm trying to think of what the equivalent that would be in the sky. And I feel like we have a small bird like a crow that acts as like the the fox that can get a scent Mm. and go out goes out in front and we're following that smaller bird that's really really cool i love the idea that i mean peregrine falcons are one of my favorite birds just because they are so very fast 
and like all you know raptor predators they have extremely good eyesight the idea that you have like something like a peregrine where you take a cage of them out and they just fly in different directions and circle around like to bring back information that's good i mean it probably needs to be a smarter bird than than a falcon but i I don't think crows have as good eyesight so or can can birds smell can they do that? Um, th- that's not typically how they hunt. No. Um, <laughs> owls have very good hearing, but like I, I don't think scent has ever really been a big bird thing. No, big oh. bird can smell. <laughs> yeah. And can feel. What mm. if we're... What the rock is cooking. Yes. Can you feel... Everyone can smell what the rock is cooking. But can you but feel can you big feel rock is cooking? You <laughs> can we be like looking for like a land seal... Mm. Oh, like, I, I like the idea of you should be on the coast because you also have flea with you and flea albatrosses primarily feed on squid or schooling fish. So being like able to like, you know, you've got flea looking for some sort of horrible sea monster and like a seal of some kind is very cool. Like, what, very cool. What yeah. if in sphere like our seals are like, very fast and no one knows how <laughs> like no one knows how these seals what if, move so fast what if oh. our, is it is it cool or not cool if our seals are smaller like the size of and the i'm not just saying this because he's here but like the size of a cat like very small i guess they're otters then <laughs> yeah that, that, i bet we, we can have small seals we probably wouldn't be hunting them like the advantage of of having a big raptor like metatron is you can get an animal that you know can reasonably provide you hundreds of pounds of meat Mm. like catching a deer that'll feed a lot of people maybe it's Uh, like an an elephant seal what if that is also upsettingly fast (laughs) like yeah like a hippo is upsettingly fast. what if it's something like kind of like mario kart rules where it's a larger animal, so it has a higher top speed, but like it's slow to achieve that top speed. But like, so the the challenge is like if you to get it while it's stationary or more stationary, because if it's like it gets to that top speed, like you'll never catch up. Never, or you're never get it. <laughs> okay, I would like to. I would like to because we are doing skyjack stuff to it, and the sea is bad. Mm. I would love for us to combine this elephant seal with a leopard seal. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I like the idea, like it has, you know, the size, the the girth, the, the raw physical power of an elephant seal, but it has the mouth of a leopard seal. And if you've seen these nasty boys pop open their mouths, you know you want absolutely no part of that business. <laughs> mm. uh, so I like the idea, kind of Studio Ghibli-esque, the head of this thing, like the mouth just opens way farther than you would expect it to, like almost crocodile mouth uh, 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 sized. So these things are very fast in water, but they can also get on land. And I'm going to say they could probably clock about 20 miles per hour on land. So if you get close to them and they decide that you're a good target, you're done. You're absolutely done. Yeah. And that's why hunting from the air is such like a massively better idea. Like, okay, I can get out of here immediately Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I need to. 
So I think whatever bird that we have is homing in on it has found it. And we're dipping below the clouds now to do a swoop in and see where our, our, uh, our bounty is. Yeah. So Gable, while you are kind of like scanning the horizon, scanning the coast for targets, uh, I would like for you to make a perception check. See, we did need character sheets. (laughs) I told you, I told you this. I can pull up your your sheet if you need it. No, no, I have it. (laughs) I didn't have the app open though. Didn't have the application. And I am going to ask for a hard perception check. You get two blue dice for this because you are being assisted by Metatron and what other whatever scout birds you have. Gosh, I needed that because I only have I, I don't perceive. <laughs> I don't. I do not I, perceive I it. Uh, I can't be perceived and I don't perceive. I'm Gable Skyjacks. <laughs> That is a failure and two advantages, whatever that means to you. Okay. So you are scanning the like shoreline and you know you're 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 looking for anything. The thing about these seals, these nasty seals, is they also look very much like rocks if you can't see them very well, which is one of the ways they capture prey is you don't see them, you assume it's a rock, and all of a sudden it is sprung to life and it is charging at you at 20 miles per hour with a bite pressure of like three thousand pounds. You're dead. You're absolutely (laughs) dead. But you are looking at the coast and it looks like rocks to you. And really, this is a more of a Metatron thing than it is a Gable thing. So you allow your focus to wander a little bit. You look over to Flea. Who has come with you on on this hunting trip? Who is riding Flea? I think it's my traditional boy party, Wendell and Nodos. I think it's Wendell's bachelor party. Okay, so Wendell is getting married Wendell's again. Wendell's getting married. Because Wendell does have kids. Wendell's getting married again, I think. <laughs> okay. Liz, I have a thousand questions about this now. There is information that I do still have to give you, but a thousand questions about this. First question, <laughs> is the new person that Wendell is marrying on the ship, or is it someone that Wendell has met off the ship? Oh, oh. after we fin- we got all this money, he's like, well, I gotta go now because now I have enough money t- for me and my sweetie to get married now. Aww. <laughs> oh. So Wendell is like gonna go on a leave for mm-hmm. a little bit to to get hitched. That's great. That's great. Second question, was Wendell married before and divorced and is supporting the kids? Is Wendell polyamorous and just has multiple spouses? What's that situation? going out with Wendell. Yeah, what if he has like an existing family unit and he has a two partners and he's already married to one and just because of his maybe like he I I want to be able to pr- provide for this next partner in the same way. I'm going to go out and make more money so we can build a bigger home for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. So this is a bachelor party hunting trip. Yeah! I think y'all have been doing this for a full week. 
Like, I think you you have been out there. It's been you, Wendell, and Nodos kind of like camping out. You're going to rendezvous with the ship and bring back, you know, like all, all of the meat and whatnot that, that you've captured. But you have been out for a week and like drinking and singing and fishing and hunting. And it has been a full on blast. Um <laughs> I do think, because this is Wendell's bachelor party, I'm going to layer one additional thing on you. You do have, over on Flea, Wendell and Nodos. They are doing the more dangerous and risky hunting, which is, because they are on Flea and Albatross go after squids, they are hunting a leviathan. They are hunting like a small tentacled sea monster, and you have to kill it as it goes up. Otherwise, like, there is always... The potential that it could strangle your bird. So, like, they are, I'm gonna say, a little bit buzzed, uh, drinking and, like, getting their spears ready if they see a leviathan, like, pop up. Flea will swoop down and they will kill it as Flea, like, begins to carry it away. You are on Metatron with the other person that Wendell has asked onto this journey, and that is Pliff. You don't what? know why, you don't know how, <laughs> but Wendell and Pliff have gotten really close. Oh, gosh. And to the point where, where Pliff is in the wedding party now, which I absolutely love. Absolutely not, James. You're ruining my <laughs> <But> good time. <laughs> you also did get two advantages, so you didn't find any seals, but your gaze wandered there, and that's primarily because... That is definitely the more fun bird to be on. Metatron is cruising right now. This is actually not a very windy day. You can see off in the distance, the, the far distance, there are storm clouds, but that's the far distance. You're, you're nowhere near that storm. You're not getting any sort of wind pattern or anything from that right now. But still, Pliff is like clinging to the back saddle and has like a small bottle of Dramamine equivalent that he's just been having to take swigs of because he gets incredibly sky sick, incredibly sky sick, especially on Griffin back. Useless, Um, useless. Absolutely. So you're like looking at the fun bird where everybody is singing and drunk and you are not drinking because you have to try and keep Metatron's flights as calm as possible so nobody vomits on the back of the bird. And also, Metatron likes to hot dog a little bit, so, uh, (laughs) you know, you have to rein him in. But while you are looking off into the sky, there's like a cloud formation, a, a higher strata cloud formation that you see in the distance and you see kind of a shadow that you recognize that would be the silhouette of a ship. You are not close enough to make out any more details than that, but you absolutely know that is a skyship. It is flying extremely high in these higher clouds, but that's definitely a skyship. And it is not the Uhuru. 
yeah, it is definitely not the Uhuru because you know the route of the Uhuru. You know, Jonnet gave you and, and the wedding party a course of where they would pick you up after this hunting trip, after this bachelor party. So you know where you're going to rendezvous. That is, you would not be seeing the Uhuru right now there in the other direction. Gotcha. I think we also established that on like these rainy days, we have lanterns on the birds to, mm-hmm. to do signals. Yes. Gable uses the lantern to signal to the other birds. Hopefully they see it. And if not, we'll just come back to get them later. Turning back, figure ahead. And then tries to use like the version of sign language to Pliff saying we're hey, we're turning around because no one, you can't hear in the high winds. We're heading back to the Uhuru. Well, probably you'll need to hit your campsite first because you'll have to pick up whatever whatever supplies and things you actually hunted here. I think you get a, si- like, you, you get a signal back that says, copy, making a dive real quick. And you can see Flea, like, drop from the sky. And you can see now, like, now that it's been pointed out to you, you can see kind of like a swirling disturbance on the water. And we get a Skyjack's first look at a Leviathan. Under the water, you can see, like, a a churning. Uh, on the surface. Uh, The surface has like taken on almost an oily quality to it. There is a description in the one of the first pirate accounts of the new world is done by a pirate whose, oh gosh, name I'm going to forget. I know it starts with a D, but he was an extremely clever man and did a lot of observational writing on the weather and basic sailing technique in the new world. And we actually used some of that journal to determine how to find out if hurricanes are approaching. When a hurricane is approaching, the sea apparently takes on a kind of strange oily quality to the top of the water. And that is the sort of topwater disturbance that we see when a leviathan is lurking close beneath. And in this dark water with that oil slick quality, we can see underneath blooms of blue bioluminescent light as the many eyes on tentacles of this leviathan are lighting up. Of course, they are turning their focus to the sky too late. Spears begin to drop down into the water, darkening it further. The creature tries to dive, but the ropes already have it, and Flea swoops down and skims their beak into the water, grabbing this large, at least from our perspective, tangling mass of black tentacles as Wendell and Nodos hop down to the side of the saddle and move forward, tossing and jabbing their spears into that mass of tentacles while Flea whips its head back and forth, trying to kill the beast. I want to zoom in on Wendell and Nodos because another thing that I have decided about this bachelor party is that everyone is dressing more femme right now. 
they are both i think in like very it's sensible for hunting but definitely like higher fashion dresses right now and both of them have had their makeup done wendell has like a big powerful beard and i think like a lot of color has been layered into that beard nodos has a really dramatic cat eye and both of them are on their shit right now like this is the happiest they could possibly be they are in the air desperately fighting a horrifying monster from the most deep and terrible place in the world the sea and if they don't kill it soon it could overwhelm their bird they will drop out of the sky into a watery grave wendell is having the best bachelor party possible. And he springs forward onto the Leviathan's back itself and plunges a knife and his arm deep into its flesh to pierce what would be a heart. He pulls it out and this, I I, I don't know if you know what horseshoe crab's blood looks like. It's It's like really cool blue. Yeah, Um, greenish blue, viscous. Yeah, it's that sort of blood that comes out of it. And the beast starts to twitch and, and go limp. And that is enough for it to be slain and for you all to return to your rendezvous point, your rally point, your campsite, and prepare to make the trek back. Gable is so grumpy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. May I say that I am obsessed with the idea that they all have, like... Uh, artfully streaked by wind and rain eyeliner made of yes. like Leviathan ink. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just like we, uh, everyone, the thing about bachelor parties is that like everyone comes back like really hot. Mm. Like, mm. <laughs> I, yeah, I <laughs> like it. Like, wh- wh- whatever tradition it is in the culture that Wendell is from, it's like, you know, you've got your your war paint or whatever, but make it fashion. Mm-hmm. Like, it is <laughs> dramatic uh, runway-style war paint is what you're doing. And, yeah, you, you what, what, what do you do for a bachelor party? You get a bunch of bros together, and you look fantastic <laughs> while you are struggling for your life against the horrible forces of nature i feel like there's like if 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 cameras were a thing in this world you'd take a picture before like as everyone's mm. heading out and then you take a picture after when everyone's comes back with all the battle scars and the ink blood and, and all that shit like, oh. yeah yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. what could be better than this just angels being dudes <laughs> what's better than this ink blood on my face guys being goo goo. guys Guys being goons I'm still here. Whoa. What the? F- what the just power happened? Went <laughs> the power went out. Oh. Because of the lightning. And the I'm thunder. amazed that, yeah, I'm glad that the 
stream didn't drop. No, um, uh, well, like the internet just went out for a second, but everything else is fine. Uh, that was a straight up nightmare, and I wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. I would have been horrified, but not surprised if the lights came back up and you were like <laughs> dead, gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was truly just like lights went out, reflection in your glasses for like too long. Yeah. Like some animation. Yeah. Oh. Very haunting on the Hill House. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh We return once again to the long line of prospective applicants for the Skyship Uhuru, a person with uh, sandy blonde hair, a bright smile of of well-maintained teeth, uh, uh, and a blue polo shirt with khaki shorts and and sandals, walks off the line and uh, puts down a a headshot and resume. This identifies him as Paul. He is a former massage therapist for the Osei Fleet and Cruise Line. Ooh. How's it going, Paul? Uh, Welcome to uh, your interview. We're great. Uh, We're very excited to have you. Uh, Go ahead and tell us about yourself. Um, What uh, (laughs) did you eat this morning uh, coming on over to the ship? Uh, he, He gives like a bright and cheery smile. Eggs. Oh, oh my. Oh. You know, every time I think that I know what to expect with one of these, I'm wrong. But, uh, oh, oh. You never expect what uh, you get in the sky, right? Oh, oh. It's just the, that's on me for making a prejudgment. It's just your experience as a, as a masseuse and calming therapist. I I would have thought a, a, a different voice, but that is on me. That is on me for making an assumption. True. Uh, so, uh, so Paul- well, have you ever released tension from a tricep with your bare hands? I will tell you, I got a massage once. This is true. It was the most miserable experience of my life. I absolutely oh. hated it. It was terrible. It's and it because- was- what happened? Nothing. It went the, the the correct way. I just didn't care for the experience. Oh, you just don't oh. like. You just don't like stranger hands. No, on your body. Well, that's good to know about yourself. I, well, that's the thing about a massage. A lot of people think it's about relaxation and refreshment. That's what comes after. The massage itself is a battle for your life. Quite honestly, that is what I experienced. Okay, yeah, honest, and I'm right there with you. Uh, I think one of my first massage experiences, I had the biggest man <laughs> I had ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> just kneading my tiny little body. I I was in more pain than relaxation, and it was an hour-long massage. Oh, so you, know, just- you know that scene in Space Jam where the Monstars pick up Bugs Bunny and mm-hmm. fold him into a basketball <laughs> and then dribble him and shoot him through a basket? That's training for massage therapy. Okay, I think Relative- everyone here has, have a, has a real bias... Uh, against the massage therapy arts in certain ways or another. And I'm sorry for your individual bad experiences, but also I feel like there's ways we could have made, it could be more pleasant for you. Yeah. Maybe not with this man I just in go particular. into a room and sit for an hour in peace and quiet. And nobody touches me. I mean, well, and to, uh, in, in, in the person's defense, uh, 
I, having it be my first massage experience, I did not feel like I had the autonomy to say, hey, ow, stop. <laughs> so, oh, no, so it that's hurt. On me. Oh, no. <laughs> so, oh, you know, I, I learned from that experience that wouldn't happen again. But at the time, <laughs> you know, a little naivete. I just well, remember the whole time she kept, t- she just kept saying, you don't need to tense. You don't need to tense. She kept saying that over and over again. <laughs> And I was like, "Is it? I this is me. This is how I am all the time." Oh. Really, Johnny? Isn't that why I'm here? Really, Travis? Yes. <laughs> I I I give off this laid back attitude, but it, but that's because it's all it's all inside, you know. It's <laughs> just all the munches, all the, just bu- the up Johnny's inside foot of me. is always tapping. <laughs> You are not. You should try and share a bed with me. I hear it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's it's what massage therapists have a saying: Florida on the outside, other parts of Florida on the inside. <laughs> Is that what they say? What are what are other massage? And what's Florida? <laughs> You know exactly what Florida is because you give off the vibes of someone who is definitely from there. You'd think maybe like Pensacola vibes. Mm. <laughs> but to get back to it, I'm I'm sorry to say like we have a med bay, but we don't particularly have a, a spa situation. So if we did hire you, you would have to find a, 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 your own niche, perhaps. Uh, how would you integrate yourself into the crew with your uh, – whole thing <laughs> well uh i i carry a you know folding table uh as a mercenary massage uh uh i'm sorry you individual. have I, mercenary I, in your title it's in the business card yeah mercenary massage that's that's what i practice oh. i practice precise battlefield massage mm. interesting interesting you know Wait. a moment where you're you're tense. You're planning something important. Life and death is on the line, and someone comes up behind you and gives you a little rub on the shoulders. That's me. <laughs> and so, how do you triage who who should get the first massage? I mean, uh, that's you know training, but uh, you can see it. Uh, have you ever seen a TV show about a detective where they'll like highlight different parts of a person's body? Actually, forget that. Uh, a, a pain medication commercial in the mm. 90s where parts of people's bodies would just glow because they're in pain. I have vision like that. Yes, it's like uh, infrared. Okay, so – all right, pop quiz right now. Of the the four of us, uh, myself, Gable, Travis, and Spit, uh, who is in most dire need of a massage? <laughs> uh, we cut into Paul's <laughs> massage vision. His beautiful uh, mind. As, like identifies, yeah, different parts of people's bodies. It's, it's like, uh, uh, you know, on Gable, it's like it identifies scar tissue, wounds, like old battle injury. Uh, on Jonnet, it's got like growing boy, uh, uh, you know, growing pains, needs some extra, need, needs more oil here. Uh, goes over to Travis, heart break loss uh now like, here's here's the thing as soon as jonna asked this question travis covered himself in mud so that he could not be seen in massage vision 
No, no. See, see, you need lead for that because <laughs> massage vision, like that's you covered yourself in mud. That's a spa thing. I told you. That's another. Why spa do you have thing. this mud bucket? <laughs> just, it's a big mud bucket. All right, it's a it's a waste of space. It's exfoliant. Why well, do we have it here? Who's to say? He 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 looks over spit and like the whole thing is red and it just says horny. <laughs> all right, so. <laughs> You've taken all that so in. Who? What's your who's who's getting the hands? You know, looking over you, I, I wanted to make sure I, I studied everyone first. But if there's someone who's going to catch these hands, my instinct tells me it's Travis. No, pass. <laughs> Why do you think I covered myself in mud? I don't want yeah, any well, of this. I don't want anything to do with this spa stuff. Is the greatest challenge. That's what I think. It's it's like an assassin going for the highest bounty. It's like the the tensest person. Who will yeah. probably you, that needs it the most? The, I'm not There's tense. You're tense. Like his, tense. his hands and fingers turn into blurs, and then uh, slap, slap, uh, uh, thrown like across the distance, separating you. Two cucumbers land on Travis's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's happening! It's happening! <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm more impressed with this uh, with this applicant than I have been in a while with a lot of people. He, that's a big old <laughs> thumbs like up from Johnny from JK. Real, <laughs> real tangible skills. And I, I'm I think I'm on board. I'm on board to see what happens and see how in the many ways that you will relax Travis against his will. And I'm just on board <laughs> to see more of that. I pass. I'm, I'm off. Yes. I'm off board. I'm a no. I'm going to tr- I'm going to cash in my veto to double vote for this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Great. Great move, Gable. Thank you. That's it. Paul's on the ship. We did it. <laughs> I feel like that's we that's the first one in a while that we've added. I feel like we mm-hmm. yeah. have been kicking them out lately. <laughs> Killed a lot of people. <laughs> we have done a couple murders. It's fine. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Like System Mastery. System Mastery is a delightful stroll through the history of role-playing games. Except the games are terrible and the hosts are real jerks about everything. Join hosts Jeff and John as they explore the weirdest games ever made to talk about what worked, what went wrong, and which Silverhawk was the best. It was Hotwing. You can find their shows at systemmasterypodcast.com or through a link on the OneShot website. Finally. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, 
who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash The Neoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. To the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends near to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky